In the fourth century, John Chrysostom, a well-known pastor of the church at that time, spoke to his congregation the following words. He said, on the subject of attention in listening, it is superfluous to exhort you anymore. So quickly have you shown by your actions the effects of my advice, for your manner of running together, your attentive postures, the thrusting one another in your eagerness to get to the inner places where my voice may more clearly be heard by you, your unwillingness to leave from the bench until the spiritual assembly be dismissed, all things of this kind may be considered proofs of the fervor of your souls and of your desire to hear. So that on this point, it is superfluous to exhort you. Wow, who wouldn't want to have that kind of church, that kind of audience? And he goes on to say, one thing, however, it is necessary for us to bid and entreat that you continue to have the same zeal and manifest it not only here, but that you also manifest it at home. Uh, you, when you converse, man with wife and father with son, concerning these matter. Uh, Chrysostom was commending and, and appreciating and encouraging his church about their attentive listening. By the way, John Chrysostom is the one I have found early on uh, to be the, the pastor who would communicate the text for the next Sunday to be preached and make it known to the congregation a week in advance so they would come ready to listen. So if you're wondering, why do we tell you the passage of Scripture for next Sunday? Well, so that you would read up ahead of time during the week and be eager to come and see what the Lord will speak to us as his church. John Chrysostom encouraged his people uh, about the way they already were coming attentive to listen to God's word. Now, it is great to be a part of a congregation with that kind of listening. But not everyone comes with the same eagerness to listen with the same readiness. So often, speakers must preface their message with an introduction that grabs people's attention, like I just did today. But when the audience comes ready to listen, it not only makes the, the speaker's job easier, it actually makes the listener's job easier as well. This morning, we will see that the Apostle Paul does a little bit of work of introduction to tell people why they must listen. And the theme of this morning's message is, why listen up? As we begin our sermon series through the book of Galatians, I encourage you to open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1. We'll be reading the introduction of this book, verses 1 through 5. You may find this passage, if you, if you don't have a Bible, by the way, we would love for you to grab one of the Bibles provided in the chairs in front of you and take those home. We'd love for you to have it. 
and read it. And uh, this passage, if you open the Pew Bibles, may be found on page number 972, uh, the letter to Galatians. As you open there, uh, we actually have started the sermon series last Sunday where we gave an overview of the book of Galatians. And uh, some of you came to me afterwards and said you were surprised that, uh, that we read the whole book of Galatians in one sitting. Others said, I'm not surprised. <laughs> but let's listen now as we jump in and plunge into smaller sections of this book and listen to God's word. Why listen up? Here's the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever Amen. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Would you bow with me in prayer, asking God to bless the preaching of the word and the listening? Let's pray. Father, as we are looking at the introduction of this wonderful letter that you have inspired for our hearing, Father, we pray that you would open our hearts, give us attentive ears, give us an attentive mind, so that Christ would dwell in us in this gathering through your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray, and through the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is the words that we have just read. This is the introduction to the letter of Galatians. In a time with uh, no printed letterheads and no electronic emails, with automatic headers of who's writing. In ancient times, letter writing had to have some specific elements to make sense of who's writing, who is it to, and, uh, and a greeting. And that's what we see in this very basic introduction. We see the who, the to whom, and a greeting. Now, Paul uses these standards element of ancient letter writing to not simply identify the who, whom, and what, but he has a message, message to convey. He's trying to grab our attention and the attention of his listeners by what he introduces and what he includes in this introduction. Now, most of this letter will have a corrective tone. But what Paul wants to set the stage, why these Galatian Christians, uh, the first audience, and then why us, we today, why we must pay attention to this letter. And the answer is because of divine authority and grace. Because of divine authority and grace. And the main point of the, of the message to this morning could be simply stated as the answer to the question, why listen up? Because of divine authority and grace. These are the two points that we see emphasized in the text, in the introduction. And therefore, 
they will be the two points of our message this morning, divine authority and divine grace. Connecting the concepts of authority and grace may seem strange to us. Think about it. The concept of authority and grace to many in our generation may seem to be opposites. You either have authority and, and rule or you have grace and be kind and be, what might you say, lenient? Authority and grace in our society often is viewed as, as opposite. And yet, in God, they are together. And the Bible presents these notions together. We're called to pay attention or listen up to this letter because authority and grace are not opposites, but they're actually joined together. We're called to pay attention because of divine authority and divine grace. So why listen up? Point number one, because of divine authority. Now, if you have been looking at the text intently, as I know you often do, you may wonder, Pastor, I don't see the word authority in the text. Where would you get it from? That's a great question. You know where I get it from? From the word apostle. When Paul describes himself, the first thing he says is, Paul, an apostle. Now, our secular culture does not have this title today. We're not familiar with this role, an apostle. Uh, if you have not grown up in church, this really may be a weird word. What does that mean? The word apostle refers to someone who is sent by an authority figure to deliver a message and to deliver it with the authority of the one who sent him. So an apostle is a sent one. But it's not just like a mailman who just, you know, grabs the mail, uh, brings it, and just delivers it to you. The mailman has no authority. He's just a, a mailman. An apostle is more than just a mailman. He was entrusted not only to give a message, but to carry the authority of the person who sent him. So one ancient secular document uh, said that a man's delegate is like himself. And, and this picture of a sent one tied with a notion of authority is used by Jesus uh, often in the Gospel of John. One of the most common ways Jesus refers to God and to himself, but particularly to God in the Gospel of John, is as the one who sent me. The concept of sending was a big idea, and Jesus assumed and knew that he would have the same authority as the authority of the one who sent him. So at one point, Jesus says, the miracles I do, they testify about the one who sent me. The authority of the one who sent me are shown in, in the miracles of Jesus. In John chapter 12, verse 49, Jesus says, 
I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment. So Jesus, when he thinks about the notion of being sent by the Father, being a sent one, he assumes that it's ascending with authority. And that's the, that's the picture, or that's the understanding of the office of an apostle. So when the apostle Paul describes himself as Paul, an apostle, he is referring to his authority. He's been sent, carried with a message, sent to carry a message, and sent with an authority of the one who sent him. This is what Paul wants to clarify from the very beginning of this letter. Not simply that he has a title, a badge of honor. No, it's about the authority. And it's not his authority. He spent some time in the very first few phrases of this letter to unpack who sent him. What authority does he have? And why should we listen up to him? If people want to reject a message, a common strategy to reject a message is to question the credentials or the authority of the speaker. We do that all the time today. Now, one way to reject it is to reject the argument, the way an argument is being made. That's another way. But an important way we often reject a message is by actually casting doubt on the messenger. And the false teachers in the churches in Galatia who were, who were infiltrating to distort the gospel in those churches were sowing seeds of distrust against Paul and against his legitimacy to be a spiritual authority or spokesman. And it happens today as well. When people are set on refusing the gospel or the Bible or the message that we have in the Bible, a common objection is the Bible is written by men. Why should I listen to it? It's just a human book. Have you heard that objection? Perhaps you might even have that objection in the back of your mind this morning. Just a human book. Now, this objection aims at dismissing the authority of the Bible by dismissing the authority of the author's as being mere humans. Now, it is true that the Bible was written by humans. That is true. We would not dismiss that. We would simply not stay at that point alone. It was written by humans, but people wrote the Bible because they were commissioned by God to make known to us a message from God. So their authority, yes, it's garbed in human form. In other words, it's, it's spoken, it's written word, it's, it's human words. We don't deny that. But the reason why them, they are giving the message is it's because they have been commissioned by God to give a message on His behalf, to give His message with His authority. And here we have an explanation that what Paul wrote was not on his own fanciful ideas. Paul wrote this letter in his role as an apostle, a sent one, commissioned to give a message, and he tells us in whose name he's been sent. 
whose message he's communicating, whose authority does his message have? Paul's apostleship shows that his authority is divine. Paul's apostleship shows that his authority is divine. Notice what he says in verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. In other words, Paul says the, the entity that sent him, the authority that he carries with him, are not of human origins, but they are divine. So why is it important for us to listen up? Why is it important for us to hear and pay attention? Though written by a man, Paul's words and his apostleship came directly from Jesus Christ and from God the Father. In Paul's words, we have God's words. In Paul's corrections that he will give through this letter of Galatians, we have God's correction for the churches of Galatia. So why should we listen up to this message? Not simply, not simply if it captures our attention. Not simply if it's presented with creativity, but simply because it is coming from God through men who God has sent to speak on his behalf. Now, do you find yourself in, with this tendency to pay attention to a message of the Bible only if it's presented in a certain way? Only if it's attention-grabbing. Only if it's short. Only if it interests you. Only if it feels like it's relevant to what's going on with you right now. Now, it's good to listen for some of those reasons, and we try to do the best with some of those reasons, although on the shortness, you know, I always fail. But let me give you another reason, and actually a primary reason why we should always want to have attentive hearts. Whether the message is delivered in a powerful, attention-grabbing, creative way, or whether it's boring, dull, long, and irrelevant, seemingly. It's because this message is from God. This is God's word to us. And a sign of a maturing believer is when a person can be edified even through seemingly boring messages. It's a sign of maturity. When we can be edified even through a delivery um, that may not seem the best. So I want to encourage you, why listen up? Because the message, the word spoken, comes with divine authority. But, but notice that this divine authority is a fatherly authority. When Paul describes Jesus Christ as the one who sent Paul, he also speaks of God. So it's Jesus and God who sent Paul. And when he speaks of God, Paul identifies God as the Father. If we look at how Paul describes God in this introduction, 
we notice that God is described as Father three times in these short verses. Why would that be an important part to bring up about God in this introduction? Well, for one, later in this letter, Paul will confront the Galatian Christians that if they continue to go back to works-based, human-effort-fueled salvation, they are turning away from their sonship to God and turning back to being enslaved. So sonship is going to be a big category later in the letter of Galatians. And Paul brings up the description of God as being our father. When you know that God is our father, why would you want to go back away from sonship to him to being slaves? So it is important for, God, for Paul to introduce God as our father. But it's even more important to introduce God as Father in this introduction that speaks about His authority. Paul brings up the fatherly role of God when he talks about His apostleship to tell us that His authority is not a, an authority of a despot. It's not the authority of a distant king, a distant God who simply gives orders from above and doesn't care what's happening with His creatures down below. No, the authority that Paul claims is the authority of a father. The loving authority of a father. And it's also the, an authority that is powerful. God is father first and foremost to Jesus Christ. God is father eternally to Jesus Christ, who is the eternal son of God. And God shows his fatherly care and fatherly love for his eternal son, Jesus Christ, in that God raised him from the dead. What an amazing power and authority this, this father has. And this is what Paul brings up in verse 1, impairing Jesus Christ and God the Father as a source of his authority, uh, as a source of the authority of his apostleship. Paul tells us that this divine authority is not only fatherly, but it's powerful. So powerful that he raised Jesus from the dead. Why would this be an important feature to bring up at the beginning of this letter? Because the resurrection of Jesus defines the God of the Bible. So when we speak to others, even from other religions, we should not speak only in generic terms about the identity of God, just God. Uh, Muslims call or claim the category of a God. Jews in Judaism claim the category of God. Friends, the God of the Bible is a, the God who raised Jesus from the dead. So it's important for us when we think and speak of God to define him as a God who raised his son Jesus from the dead. And those, that kind of God, the Muslims reject. That kind of God, the Jews in Judaism reject. When Paul speaks of his authority, he doesn't speak simply about just a generic divine authority. He speaks specifically about the authority of the God who is the father of Jesus Christ who raised him from the dead. 
Well, friends, when Paul draws attention to his authority, he doesn't simply draw attention to himself. He draws attention to the one who sent him. It's a divine authority, a fatherly authority, a powerful authority. And the point for us is that we should pay attention, not simply to see, is this something that is motivational speech, inspiring us to get out there in this world, to do better this week. If we're looking for mere motivational, inspirational words, oh, friends, you can, you can browse the Internet for that. You can listen to a lot of sermons online. Consider, is the word that is being spoken encouraging you to listen, not based on the quality of its inspiration, but on the quality of its authoritative nature? It's not in the preacher who preaches it. It's not in me. It's not in any of the pastors here. You should listen because it comes as the word of God. Listen to him. Pay attention to him. So why should I listen to his message? Because it comes with a divine authority. So listen up. A second reason why we should listen up. Because of divine grace. Because of divine grace. In ancient times, it was common to start letters with certain greetings. And the Greeks often started their letters with a word or with a word rejoice. That's how they started. Letters were customarily started with this greeting, rejoice. Uh, Jewish people would start their letters with the word shalom, peace. When Paul writes letters, and he writes quite a few in the New Testament, if you have been uh, reading the New Testament, you know that we have quite a few letters from him. He starts almost all his letters with this Pauline-made, custom-made greeting. And he starts with the word grace. Grace. And in starting with this, great, with this word grace, Paul recognizes that the most important element that we need in this life is not joy, though that is nice to have, is not health, though that is also super nice to have, is not simply prosperity, although that is nice to have as well. Paul begins his letters almost all the time because, with the word grace because he knows that the first and foremost need that we have is grace. And he write, adds right next to it peace because our most dire need is to be reconciled with God. And the only way to be reconciled with God is not through our efforts, but through His grace. So even before peace is being uttered and wished, it starts with grace. The grace Paul speaks of is not mere human grace. Sometimes we hear each other say things like, let's show some grace to each other. Or people might say, oh, that person dealt so graciously in that difficult situation. That's referring to kindness, human kindness to one another. It's not bad to use the word grace in that way. 
But the grace Paul speaks of here is the divine grace, the grace from God. And that's what he says in our text. He says, grace and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, friends, Paul wishes them grace from God and from Jesus because he has already shown us grace. And what does this grace consist of? What does the grace of God consist of? Paul tells us several characteristics about the grace of God in verse 4. The first one is that divine grace is that Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins. Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins. This is the shortest and sweetest summaries of why Jesus was crucified. Gave himself for our sins. His life was not taken from him against his will. Even though at one point in Gethsemane he asked the Father if there was another way to do it. If there was another way to do it. And yet he said, not my will but yours. And he willingly went to the cross knowing that there was no other way. He gave himself He gave himself willingly. And he gave himself not simply for a great cause, for something worthy to to, uh, give your life for. No, he gave himself for people's rebellion. He gave himself for our disobedience. He gave himself for our sins. And the fact that Jesus gave himself for our sins tells us something very, very, very important about our sins. Tells us that our sin can't be swept under the rug. It tells us that our sin can't be ignored. It tells us that our sin cannot be given a pass. Tells us that our sins cannot be paid for with our good works. No matter how good we are or how many good things we do. Our sin must be dealt with. And the only way and the only means for our sins to be dealt with is if Jesus Christ gave himself up for them. This is why Jesus was crucified. This is the grace of God that he would provide the means, the only possible means to have our sins dealt with. And that is through Jesus Christ. That's how big of a deal our sin is to a holy God. That's how big of a deal our sin is to our heavenly Father. And yet, in order to make peace between us and God, Jesus gave himself for our sins. Friend, I wonder 
if you realize that your sin must be dealt with. And I wonder if you realize that no human effort and no human accomplishment can pay sufficiently for your sin to be dealt with. None whatsoever. I wonder if you realize that. Or I wonder if perhaps in your mind you think, I think God will give me a pass on the day of judgment because my good stuff outweighs the bad. I've been a very trying person. I wonder if you still hold on to those hopes. This message tells us, the message of God's grace tells us that no human effort or accomplishment is big enough or sufficient enough to have your, de your sins dealt with. The only way who can deal sufficiently with your sin is Jesus. This is the grace of God. And I wonder if you have ever asked him to deal with your sin and to forgive you. If you've never done that, today would be a great day to do it. Today would be a wonderful day to, to tell God, God, I heard in church today that my sin I cannot deal with sufficiently on my own, no matter how much I try. Tell him in prayer. If you'd like to know more what that means, how to do that, we would love to talk to you when the service is dismissed or to meet with you during the week and talk to you more. I'd encourage you to, to meet up with someone who's a member here to tell you more about how to make sure that your sin is dealt with sufficiently in Jesus. The purpose of his death was not only to deal with our sin, but also to deliver us from the present evil age. I wonder if you saw that in the text. The grace of God is given to us not only to deal with our sin, but also to deliver us from the present evil age. That through the death of Jesus, we would be rescued, taken out. Taken out from what? From this present evil age. This present evil age is not referring simply to our creation. It's not referring simply to the world in general. Instead, it's referring to the spirit of rebellion against God that has taken over and infected all humanity and all creation. Every human heart, every human institution, the spirit of this age is wicked. The spirit of this age is set on rebelling against God, against the fact that he made us in his image and likeness. Oh, friends, as one pastor put it, by this word, by this wicked present evil age, by this word, as by a thunderbolt, Paul lays low all human pride. For he, he declares that apart from that renewal of the nature which is bestowed by the grace of Christ, there's nothing in us but unmixed wickedness. We are being delivered from this present evil age. Oh, friends, Christ gave himself to accomplish this rescue operation from the corruption, 
from the rebellion that lodges in our own hearts, in every human institution, and in the spirit of this age. Oh, friends, in the aftermath of, of Afghanistan and of the operation in Afghanistan in the last few weeks, the notion of being rescued or taken out of a country that has been taken over by an evil regime remains a very vivid picture for me. And I was reading this week through these, this passage, this very sentence, to deliver us from this present evil age. We have seen the fervor and the chaos of what it took to try to rescue out uh, of a nation that has been taken over by, a, by an evil, corrupt, wicked government, as the Taliban is. Uh, we've seen the, the efforts to try to rescue as many out of that as possible before getting out of the country. The operation to bring out all the American citizens and the Afghani people who have worked with the Western allies was a worthy goal. Yet it fell far, far too short. We understand when wickedness is so clear in our face as, as it is with the Taliban government, we understand how important it is to make sure you get in line to be lifted up, to be taken out, to be rescued. In a similar way, though there are some differences as well, the grace of God is working out a rescue plan operation to take us out, to lift us up from this present evil age. Friends, Jesus Christ gave himself up for our sins so that we would no longer remain under the domain, under the rule, under the authority of this present evil age. Where the analogy breaks down is that this is not yet a physical airlifting operation. Physically, we're still left to dwell in this present evil age. We continue to live in this world, but we are called to live out no longer according to the values and the ideologies and the priorities of this present evil age. We no longer take our command from the command center of this present evil age. The grace of God rescues us from the domain of the present evil age in order to bring us as citizens, as dwellers, as fellow heirs of a new kingdom, of a new government, of a new age, of a new creation. But until that time comes, we must consider, we must consider how to live as citizens of the age to come. You know, there will be a time if the Lord does not tarry, and if he were to come in our own lifetime, we're looking forward to be airlifted physically to meet the Lord. This rescue operation is real. And it's going to be physically very real. But until that day comes, spiritually, we have already been rescued. Even though we have been allowed 
and given the assignment to still live in this present evil age, but no longer taking the commands from this evil spirit that has corrupted all human existence. Oh, friends, we're called to live by faith, placing our trust entirely on the grace of God shown to us in Jesus Christ. Our rescue operation came through Jesus' death for our sins. And it came according to the will of our God and Father. This is how the introduction closes. Paul says that all this rescue operation came according to the will of our God and Father. The only way for this operation to work was because of the sovereign will of God. The sovereign planning of God. What an amazing grace God has shown us to be willing to be sent to send his own son to execute our rescue operation through his own death. No wonder that Paul explodes in praise at hearing of this grace of God so generously given to us that he says, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. People who understand and experience the grace of God in their lives respond with praise to God. And they respond with willing obedience. The obedience doesn't earn the grace. The obedience is simply a manifestation, an outflow of the fact that we have understood the grace of God for us in Jesus. Oh, friends, I wonder, is this you? Is this you? Have you experienced the grace of God? Why listen up? Why pay careful attention? Because God has spoken to us. And what he has spoken to us is a divine authority and a divine grace. If only we were open to listen to him and respond with faith, trusting in his marvelous operation. A few weeks ago, I listened to a pastor share the story of a, of a message he gave many years ago well, when he was invited to speak at a student gathering in England. It was 1992. He spoke to a group of Christian students at Oxford University uh, who had invited him to give a series of lectures on Christianity. And before the lecture, there was uh, some testimonies. And every night, a student would come and share a testimony about how he came to, he or she came to understand the grace of God. And uh, one of the nights, the following testimony came before he gave the message. And it was, it was a testimony that just gripped my heart. A student came, and I'm going to read it because it's just so helpful to read it as it was stated. A student came, and he, here are his words. I have been in this wheelchair since I was eight. It was the result of a family car accident. However, that is of no importance. I'm reading classics at this university, and that also is of no importance. Several years ago, my uncle wrote a book called The Enigma of Suffering. The book was technical, 
and difficult. But by the time I had finished it, I was convinced that God was there and that he was basically good. I asked my uncle if he would recommend further readings. He gave me a book, the name of which I have now forgotten. However, as I read it, I discovered that I was a sinful man and in desperate need of forgiveness. I also read that the death of Jesus was sufficient for my total forgiveness. And I availed myself of that forgiveness. And although it sounded strange, he said, and I stand before you tonight as a totally forgiven man. And that is important. The only other thing I want to say is that God has been so good to me that I want to spend the rest of my life serving him. And I think that is important. And that is all I have to say. be rescued from this present evil age. An age in which accidents happen. An, an age in which infirmity, disease, trouble can control us and is inescapable. And yet to come to the place of being rescued from this present evil age and to know that even as something as powerful as an infirmity that could mark you for the rest of your life with ongoing bitterness ongoing hatred against God to come and be rescued from that and to live like a free man even though bound in a wheelchair. To live free of bitterness, free of hatred against God, and not just free of that, to live with a desire to serve this great God who is our Heavenly Father because he has understood that his most important need has been met by a gracious Heavenly Father. His sin has been forgiven through Jesus Christ. Why listen up? Why listen up? Because we have a divine authority who is loving, fatherly, powerful to save. And because we have a grace, the grace of God given to us in Jesus Christ, who has dealt with our sin and rescued us from this present evil age so that we may give our lives to live with praises to God and in joyful obedience and service to Him. Dear friends, 
I pray that you would consider why you and I should listen up continually. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, in a time when we are often assaulted by so many weaknesses and troubles and reasons to be discouraged and reasons to be frustrated and reasons to be bitter, Father, we thank you that your grace is being made known to us and manifested towards us. And it's powerful in us to deal with our rebellion and sin. Father, we praise you for the grace you have given to us in Jesus Christ. Father, enable our hearts as we have heard your word to listen to you, to pay attention to you, and to give our hearts in, in constant, unceasing praise and dependence on you who have given your only son to be broken, given for us, for our rescue operation, and for our praise of you. We pray all this, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.